I am, uh, I'm in caffeine mode. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> I've got to be in the worst, worst possible time zone for Apple keynotes. I, yeah, I can't imagine. Although you're in the best possible time zone, uh, for those, uh, late, well, late night for me, uh, pre-orders. Cause I, I got to order these at, um, like if I want the iPhone on launch day, I've got to be up at 2am my time to order it. It's like noon for you. That's a bit strange how that happens. I thought they would tailor the pre-orders to um, to like a, a decent time in the US. But yeah, you're right. I get pre-orders normally around 5pm is when they open up, which is perfect timing. You know, finished work, just sitting there waiting. Not like the um, not like the keynote, which is either, depending on daylight savings, it could be 1 or 2am in the morning, which by my standards is too, lo- too late to stay up for. And um, if I do go to sleep beforehand, it's also too early to um continue into the day from as well so right <laughs> it's one terrible sleep beforehand and then one terrible sleep after and and you were you were up like the moment it started and you were back to sleep the moment it ended because i was texting like immediately before and after and i could just tell the moment you went back to bed <laughs> <laughs> i sent you my one line summary before i went to bed though. <laughs> do you want to read it out um yeah let me let me pull it up here uh <laughs> I want to make sure I get this exactly right. You said, Tim's pronunciation of Mojave, I think is how he said it, is killing me. <laughs> it, or it's... That was my last thought, and then, <laughs> bam, head hit the pillow. <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely didn't say it the way that I'm I'm used to saying it, uh, but with, you know, thousands of miles separating us, there's no saying that, that the regional dialect is just slightly different between here and there. I think if Tim is pronouncing it that way, that makes it the official pronunciation, so... So I'm going to now just go with, it doesn't really matter, whatever works, whatever comes out of my mouth is what I'm going to stick with. <laughs> it's probably going to be Mojave going forward, though, now that it's been drilled into my head over the course of four podcasts. That's, that's yeah, it's been really hard for me to say Mojave just because I've grown up hearing it Mojave. And I'm still pretty sure that's like the technically correct pronunciation. We'll have to get in touch with some um, etymologist or <laughs> pronunciation specialist. Yeah, there you go. Well, I didn't know how you wanted to... Uh or what kind of flow you wanted for this show. I've put together a few thoughts that I had, not in any specific order or... Yeah, I thought what we'd do, um, definitely not go through the top five posts on Reddit. Um, <laughs> we'll just go through the keynote from the start to the end. That seems like a pretty logical order. And then at the end, we could do like what wasn't in the keynote. And yeah, I saw your notes <laughs> about a very specific item that was announced a long time ago and it's <laughs> suddenly disappeared from the apple's website altogether which is a good pickup <laughs> that's very scary it's as if it didn't ever exist uh yeah hold on a sec i've just got a, a coffee order being delivered sure thank you <laughs> um so how did you like the uh so the, the the keynote started with uh, a video of um, like a, a courier woman running a very important looking briefcase from Tim's office, by the look of it, all the way to Tim in the in the Steve Jobs theater. And I mean, I I expected it was going to be something funny inside, but I thought it'd be like I don't know some cufflinks or maybe a, I don't know a pocket watch. Uh, but to be the Apple clicker, I thought that was that was pretty good. I liked that. Yeah, uh, I thought the video itself was pretty clever. Um, there was a moment in there where uh, on her run across the 
uh, Apple Park campus, she asks Siri for directions to the Steve Jobs Theater, and she did that by using the Hey Siri command through her AirPods, which isn't a supported feature, uh, and it makes me... Siri heard me. Um, (laughs) But that makes me wonder if that was like a teaser for an upcoming feature, like in the next generation AirPods, or if that was just... uh, I shouldn't be looking that deep into it, and it's just a funny skit. I didn't pick up on that, but I'm curious. Was her watch raised at the time? Because if she raised her watch, then Hey Siri does work through AirPods. Uh, I don't believe her wrist was raised, and I feel like if she were to do that, she would have shown off... They would have like deliberately made her not say that to show that the watch doesn't require that any longer. I, I don't know. I might be thinking too much into it, but that's what I noticed. Well, these things are usually planned pretty impeccably, so I think it's it's worth looking into. Maybe we can um, we can try and puzzle it out afterwards and put it in the show notes. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get uh, these second generation AirPods with the with the I'm not saying it uh, with the command, and uh, um, the same time we get the wireless charging case whenever that may or may not come. And alongside air power, or are we just going to pretend that was actually a figment of our imaginations going forward? Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, I've got a bit of a cold as well, so if I sound ridiculous and I'm coughing and wheezing a lot, I'll try and edit them out of the show. <laughs> oh, I just uh, assumed it was your morning voice. It's a combination of the both, <laughs> both I would say. All right. <laughs> It's pretty inevitable that after a long flight on an aeroplane, you come out with something. And this one's been going on almost two weeks now. Oh, man. Yeah, the whole family, too. Yeah, I can't imagine. Like, how long does it take to get over jet lag after spending a whole summer, like, six hours off? Um, Well, we landed on a Sunday, and I would say I was over it by Thursday, although we did have the little one um, quite wide awake through the night at some point. Oh, yeah, I bet. (laughs) You know, like, 11 till 2, 12 till 3, (laughs) thinking it was daytime yeah it doesn't you know you don't get it at that age of course yeah of course um so the next thing i noted about the keynote is that they didn't really do their usual extended here's how apple's going and here are all our ways that apple is saving the world and it's kind of been a feature of of recent keynotes that they're making these um customer satisfaction promos quite a lot shorter I thought, um, I mean, their whole show structure felt a little odd to me uh, this time around because with within the first hour, they had announced they announced and finished up with the new Apple Watch, and they had already unveiled the 10s and gone over most of its big changes. Uh, but then they proceeded to spend the next 30 to 40 minutes just continuing, like talking about this 10s, which to me felt like they were highlighting very small things that they would usually gloss over just to drag the show out and then to uh, announce this 10R at the very, very end when I felt like they could have done it 30 minutes earlier and cut the show much shorter. Even the last five minutes of wrapping up was going over everything again to a level of detail that they wouldn't normally. It really did drag on. Yeah. I was ready to go back to bed. (laughs) By the time that they announced the 10R, the only thing keeping me awake was the possibility of air power release date (laughs) coming out. Yeah. Yeah, it was... uh... I was horribly disappointed when he started talking about the hands-on area. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like... I don't want to say that they're losing their touch, but this this show specifically felt uh, very underwhelming to me compared to the previous shows. Mostly due to the... The products or or the structure that you mentioned before? Um, 
I, th- I think there's probably a bit of both playing into it. Um, we had quite a few leaks leading up to this show, but that's not unusual. I mean, this isn't even the first time we've seen entire products before they were announced. The, I mean, I think about like the iPhone 4 in the bar, and that keynote was still extraordinary and extremely entertaining to watch, even though we knew exactly what the device was going to be announced. Uh, So I don't think the leaks played into it entirely, um, but combining the leaks with kind of the weird structure and then the fact that the Apple Watch was really cool, but uh, the phones themselves, I felt, were were, uh, less of an update than we usually get even for an S release, and that I kept expecting to hear, like, this is going to be the the new feature they add, or this is the cool thing they're doing, and I, I never really felt like we got that moment. Yeah, well, let's talk about the watches then first, and then we can talk about the missing, <laughs> the missing X factor with the phone. All right, so the Series Four watch, and there were a few big changes. Well, all mild, mild changes, but there's actually, would you call it a form factor change? Because they have actually increased the size of the thing um, in the in the 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 part that's facing you. I guess you would call it the screen. bigger on the 38mm, bringing it to 40mm, and 32% bigger on the 42, bringing it to 44. I didn't expect the screen to be as bezeled as it is, which sounds silly, because we did see those marketing images come out beforehand. But I was still a little surprised to see that it wasn't really as edge-to-edge as I thought it would be. It's got the nice curved edges like you see on the iPhone X and XS and XR. (laughs) Um... But there is still a decent amount of black space around the edge of it. And alongside that, it's not really that much thinner. It's less than a millimeter thinner. So people with small wrists are kind of already at their limit with the small one. And now it's a heck bigger. And I always found, I mean, everyone has a personal taste when it comes to how bigger watches on their wrist. And some people buy these like ginormous watches and they look pretty cool. Um, but I, I was thinking that the, the current Series 3 was kind of at the limit for what i wear on my wrist well how much of this like i'm not sure exactly how apple takes their measurements is is the is the 44 millimeters like the case size are we talking about just screen size when we're talking about those measurements i would say it was the screen size i can do a quick check it didn't appear to me that the actual cases themselves uh got significantly bigger uh because I feel like if that was the case, uh, we would have had uh, the old straps wouldn't wouldn't have been compatible because they already go edge to edge. So if the case itself got larger, it wouldn't fit uh, correctly. All right, I'm just looking at the tech specs for the, the page, and the way it describes it is Series Four 44 millimeter case, and then Series Three 42 millimeter case. So I'm um, I'm really I'm sure that it's actually the whole watch that has gotten bigger along with the screen size. Okay. Well, they've, uh, I don't know, the way they've played into their marketing, they didn't make that very uh, apparent to me then. But uh, looking through, I'm just I'm just scanning through the actual images of the product here. They have a lot of like people working out, wearing it, and it does seem a little larger on the wrist than I am used to it appearing. So I can believe that's probably the case. There was a very brief mention that the overall volume was less by whatever percent. Right. And I don't think they brought it up again, nor did they say how much thinner it was they didn't go into like you know it's 10 percent thinner or 25 percent thinner because it's gone from 11.4 mil to 10.7 mil yeah hardly something you'd bring up on a a uh, slide yeah they they, uh they kind of like to brag about when they make things uh smaller but they they really glossed over it this time so and we got a lot more kind of uh technical details than i'm that i'm used to hearing from them which was refreshing in its own way 
Um, but but like going back to what you said earlier about the uh, the screen size itself, uh, I was I was in a, the same boat as you. Uh, I expected the screen to be to appear much larger with smaller bezels, and it's probably because the image we saw had it was sitting on a black background, so it was. And I'm sure this is deliberate for the marketing material, but it's very or it's impossible to tell where the screen ends and bezel begins in that one image we saw, and in most of the marketing images. But then they're on stage and they say, "Look at this new watch face we have that highlights." how big the screen is and it starts like the smoke and the fire goes up against the edge of the screen and all i could think is it d- doesn't look that much bigger actually yeah that's right because yeah the marketing image that leaked out was a watch face on a black background so it was difficult to tell where the screen would end but yeah i had the exact same reaction when the flames were going out or the water i'm not sure what the third one was yeah and it yeah it, it actually highlighted the bezel yeah. <laughs> around the edge but saying all that, if you do look at the uh, Series 4 and the Series 3 side by side, the, the round edges and the slightly smaller bezel does make the Series 3 look positively dated. Oh, it does, yeah. All right. Well, do we want to talk about the probably the biggest feature of the the new Apple Watch here, or at least in my opinion, with the new uh, ECG? I thought you were going to say fall detection. Sure, ECG. <laughs> I, I think I mean fall detection is cool, but that's more of a software thing. Like ECG is, I think, a significant piece of hardware they've added, and and this is the first consumer over the counter device that you can buy that's capable of of making these measurements. So. There's a little thing that worried me about this is he said, uh, so this is uh, FDA, what was it, De Nuovo approved? Yeah, FDA approved. That's some sort of FDA approved, some sort of new approval process. And then he said, and we're working to bring it to other countries. So it sounds like it's only a US thing, which is great for you guys, but um, I don't think we're going to get it here. I mean, it'll be in the watch, surely, um, but whether it's active or not is another question. Right, yeah. I'm not sure... Like, I mean, FDA, FDA is our, our Food and Drug Administration here in the U.S., and they are responsible for testing and approving all drugs and, like, medical equipment. So for Apple to get that approval is a really a really big deal because um, it means that the FDA has has inspected it and stated that it's, like, up to their standards as a real medical device. Uh, so it's it's this is a bigger deal than, like, just putting a heart rate monitor in it that anyone can do that without getting approved. It's like, hey, this is accurate and good enough for, like, practicing medicine. The FDA approval makes a big difference. And I was wondering if they specifically meant, like, it won't be activated in other countries or if they're just trying to get the equivalent approval of other countries' governments. Well, they're surely seeking the approval in other countries where they have to. They're probably countries where you don't have to seek approval. Right. Maybe, maybe some countries, they, they would require approval just for them to even use this feature. But uh, I think the approval is more like to certify that the results are accurate. And in that case, they could have this feature and, and not have the approval. But I don't know. There's not, there's not a lot of information about it here when I'm reading their website. So it just says, it says the app itself is coming later this year. So it sounds like even us in the U.S. won't get it on launch day. Right, yeah. Well, that definitely sounds like it would be a software-activated thing that comes along in the future um, to countries like Australia or wherever where they do need to get approval from some sort of uh, government body. Right. 
yeah, there's. I just cannot imagine that they would ever ship a watch without the actual hardware. <laughs> and then, you know, three months down the track, it starts to come with the ECG. <laughs> Kat, do you have any insight into how this is useful for people and for doctors? I, I'm not someone who's ever had to have any sort of ECG. Or um, yeah, I can't say I've had those that those tests done myself either. Uh, my my only experience is just from being around it, working in like hospitals and other medical environments in the past. Um, uh, it sounds like, specifically in the case of the Apple Watch, they're they're using it only to look for uh, AFib or atrial fibrillation, which is kind of like irregular heartbeats. Um, but I think the application itself, um, a lot of a lot of patients have uh, conditions that uh, come and go. It's not like you feel ill and you go into the doctor and your heart is still acting up. It can be like very just in that moment, there's something going on with your heart that happens periodically that can be hard for a doctor to uh, hook you up and diagnose uh, quickly. So to have this technology on your wrist where you feel faint or, or something like that, you can take a heart measurement right there in that moment and then show it to your doctor uh, could make a, a big difference in how quickly patients get diagnosed in the future. It's neat how this works as well, um, because it uses the contacts on your wrist, but then you also need to be pressing your index finger on the digital crown, which also has a sensor in it as well. So it gets the, <laughs> I'm talking way out of my depth, but <laughs> the, I guess, electrical impulses from your heart from down both arms, which seems to be important for an ECG. Right. It has to make a connection uh, through your body across your heart. So you would technically or typically have sensors hooked up to like either arm and sometimes above and below your heart as well to get different measurements. Um, but they always have to be able to run across your heart to get those measurements. So that's why you have to have connection to both arms. And it's not just the ECG on the watch. They've actually added along the lines of in the Series 3 where it'll detect a fast heart rate when you haven't been doing anything. Um, it has AFib detection um, just from the heart rate sensor. Is that right? Right. Yeah, that and uh, can now detect a uh, heart rate that is too low as well. I wonder what uh, a too low heart rate is. D- do you see, oh, you don't use the Siri face, but it tells you what your resting heart rate is every day. And, um, you know, like marathon runners and ultra fit people have it in the 40s. Yeah, uh, my heart my heart rate uh, definitely uh, lives a little higher. It's uh, in the mid to high 80s usually for a resting heart rate. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that sounds high. Mine's usually in the mid fifties. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never see anything that that low. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wasn't really joking before when I said the the big feature was the fall detection because I can see that being really useful, especially when it comes to older relatives because some some of them live alone, and I mean just the um, just on this Sunday, my my grandma, my oma was describing to me how she actually got out of bed and fell over and then you know she had to crawl to you know a piece of furniture to get up but that could very easily have been fall and hit her head and then have been lying there for a day before anyone realized that um that she wasn't out and about yeah uh things like that are uh yeah very scary especially for the old relatives do you have um life alert in australia no it doesn't ring a bell uh okay it's a it's kind of become a meme at this point just in in our culture life alert is is uh just like uh medical equipment specifically for the elderly it's a little pendant that they can wear around their their neck or have strapped to their wrist and it just has a single button um so they can quickly call for help um 
and their commercials, uh, they always have very poor acting of elderly people laying on the floor and they say, I've fallen and I can't get up. Uh, and that's, that's kind of become a meme, but, uh, they're, I mean, one of the only companies providing for that specific niche in the market. And I feel like with something like this, Apple's put them out of business because something like life alert requires you to actually push the button if you need help. Whereas the Apple watch can detect that something's happened and ask if you're okay. And then if you, if you don't respond, it'll call for help for you. Yeah, so it's just a small investment of an iPhone and a cellular Apple Watch <laughs> to get this in the hands of every grandparent. Well, do you have to have an iPhone or can you just purchase the watch? You still have to have your Apple Watch paired to an iPhone somewhere. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And it, it like couldn't be like, you know, a, a child or a grandchild's iPhone because, oh, unless they didn't have an Apple Watch, I guess. But <laughs> no, I can see problems with that and getting messages and calling people on behalf of... <laughs> Okay, yeah. so so maybe it's an expensive solution, but uh, for tech literate grandparents, this could be very very useful. And this is something that is hardware enabled as well, because the new um, what do they call it? High dynamic range um, motion sensors what enables the fall detection. So it's not coming to older watches, unfortunately. There's no um, Craigslist special that you can get in the hands of your grandma for the fall detection. Um, on the on the topic of hardware, I think the the new digital crown is is a very interesting thing. I'm inter- uh, excited to to feel and try out. Yeah, a, a crown with like a little um, like fake tension and click is going to feel so good. I'm wondering they never specifically said, um, and I've seen some people already on the internet claim that it's it's just haptic feedback. Uh, so I don't know if this is a mechanical click we're actually going to feel or if it is just the, the Taptic engine trying to imitate that. Oh, no, it's 100% haptics. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing physical about it. Well, hopefully they're able to imitate it well. Yeah, I hope so. So they also didn't speak about the side button at all. We've kind of assumed at this point that it's also a haptic button, but they didn't mention that. You have to assume it is, but yeah, they, there was no mention of it at all. Yeah. Not in any of the slides, not spoken out loud, as if it didn't exist. Yeah, that's just kind of another example of kind of the some odd things for them to gloss over, I feel like, in this keynote. Uh, the other small changes to the watch, I think we should just push through them. There aren't too many, but um, it's got the Series 4 system on a chip. Oh, no, there was another name for it, wasn't there? It's the S4. I don't know. S4, yeah. Twice as fast, so no huge upgrade, but twice as fast. Um, the speakers on the left now, there's no microphone there. It's just speakers, and they're two long slits, kind of like, um, well, they're not, a, I guess you could call them a grill, but they're not like the iPhone. They're not like a few holes in a row, but they're two long slits down the side of the watch. That'll be nice because, I mean, since the very original Apple Watch, I've always found the speakers too quiet to use. Series 3, it is usable for a phone, um, but not enjoyable still. And the microphone's been moved over to the right side, and so I believe there's only one microphone. That's what it looks like. We'll see how that works. Um, Bluetooth 5 instead of 4. They've got an all-ceramic back now. Yeah, so it was all-ceramic before on the stainless steel models and gold models, is that right? Uh, well, in this case, the actual entire entire back of the of the watch is ceramic, so not just around where the heart rate sensor is, but like instead of having alum- or stainless steel going all the way up to the edge of the glass, you actually have ceramic back entirely. So it, it kind of looks like a screen on both right, sides. Okay. Right, okay. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, so that should help with cellular reception. Um, interestingly, they didn't have any form of Apple Watch edition, so there is no all ceramic option this year. That's disappointing. That was always a really nice looking watch. And I actually saw some of them around, unlike, you know, the 24 carat Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen one of those out in the wild. 
But also, interestingly to me, I uh, posted on Reddit and got kind of neutral feedback on this, but they seem to have, have changed up their band design just slightly. Um, they're backwards and forwards compatible, but they have multiple versions of the same band list on their site now, specifically the Milanese Loop is what I saw. They have a version of Milanese Loop that says designed for Series 3, and then it says, but it works with Series 4, and they have a version of Milanese Loop that says designed for Series 4, and then also specifies it's backwards compatible. Is that just not the shade of the, the gold or the silver? Uh, no, they... Ha- well, I would assume that they haven't changed the actual just polished stainless steel, um... But it could be... No, they have. The actual just the silver stainless steel? Didn't they? I thought they covered that in the keynote and they said that the... Yeah, I'm, I'm positive that the stainless steel is a new look stainless steel that, you know, profound change looks better than ever before. <laughs> okay, well, well, maybe it is just the color. Um, and in that case, they did not bother to bring the link bracelet along to this new stainless steel. They've dropped that entirely and are now selling it at a discount. As just an old model. What's a discount on the Link bracelet? Because that was always ridiculously expensive. It's uh, $350 now, which is pretty significant because it was, it was like 500 before. Yeah. <laughs> it's always been crazy expensive. Yeah. But the new, the new gold Milanese loop looks really nice. So I think that that's going to appeal to a lot of people. Yeah, it's one of the most popular um, bands that I see around. It does look really nice. I was also surprised to see they kept GPS or, or just the GPS option and they didn't put them all over to cellular. Uh, so they kind of have this, this cheaper option still available to some people. Yeah, that, that's nice, because not everyone is going to be using cellular. So if you can save $50, then yeah, I'm all right with that. Should we take a quick break from talking about products and talk about the speakers, the actual presenters on stage? Sure. What did you have in mind? So the first guest speaker that we had on was... Um, Eyeball Benjamin from the uh, the American Heart Association. Um, yeah, <laughs> I <laughs> I didn't enjoy his part of the keynote. It didn't sound like he wrote it himself, and it also looked like he was just reading the entire thing off a screen. Yeah, that um, was. Uh... He did. Pre- he spoke well and he presented well, um, but it did not feel like a natural presentation. Yeah, it sounded like. Uh, at least I initially was under the impression that they had brought him out to kind of endorse the series four and talk about the new ECG and how the American Heart Association supports this. But yeah, it did look like he was just reading, like, I want to think he wrote it and just didn't memorize it and was reading his own prepared words off of a teleprompter. But it felt like they were telling him what to say and he didn't didn't seem enthusiastic about it and he didn't even mention the new features of the Apple Watch. And so the whole thing felt really weird to me. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It did feel unnatural and <laughs> like it had been written for him. <laughs> so, although I mean, you can't blame everyone for not being a good public speaker. So, yeah, exactly. And the pressure's on. I mean, this is—is is it the most watched um, presentation in the world? I think it might be. Or at least once in the past, I saw that Akamai um, tweeted that uh, they did like the most global bandwidth day ever <laughs> during an Apple presentation. <laughs> it could have been like the iPhone 7's presentation, yeah, a few years ago. So. I mean, yeah, there's no doubt it's a huge crowd to be in front of. Um, the polar opposite of uh, an unnatural speaker, uh, I can't remember her name, though. Um, do you remember the name of uh, the the first woman that came on stage? Um, oh, man, I do not. The the uh, marketing person for Apple? Is that who you're thinking of? Yes, yes. Yeah, I yeah, don't definitely don't have her name memorized. <laughs> no, me either. Um, but I found her presentation was, was excellent. It was... Yeah, as I said, the opposite. It was it was very natural. It did not feel like she was reading anything at all. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it was, it was just a good presentation. Yeah, and she herself, I mean, brought on these, just the three different game studios that, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I'm I'm about as, as done with uh, um, Bethesda <laughs> at this point as, as anyone can be, <laughs> so their little hack and slash demo didn't interest me very much, but the uh, AR applications that were demoed afterwards, I mean, not specifically for what they are interest me, but just what AR can do now especially with that multiplayer space is really interesting to me yeah when she announced that that would be running on three game studios i (laughs) i was uh i was at the the bottom of the bottom (laughs) i was ready to go to bed when she said that (laughs) but the presentations what they were all short and sharp and they didn't drag on like they normally can yeah like yeah they go for a long time watching some guy play an iphone game for five minutes (laughs) they were nice they were um to the point and yeah, the AR presentations were were top notch. Um, the Gallagher AR that looked pretty nice, and then they also showed a not so much a game, but a a basketball court and shot detection app, which looked really slick. It would analyze uh, like the height of the player and uh, the angle they released the ball, and then summarize all that on screen after they'd walked around a court taking shots. And they brought some uh, famous basketballer on stage. Uh, as uh, not from the US, I have no idea who it is. Oh, but, uh, I, I have no idea either. You got quite so. an applause. <laughs> Maybe I think he's probably a big deal, like in California. I bet he plays for a local team or something, and that's why in that venue he got such a big response. Although, although, yeah, I'm probably just gonna get called out now for not knowing what I'm talking about. But anyway, yeah, all the all the presentations were very very good and polished. All right, so main event. All right, iPhone 10s. Do you want to kick off this one? Yeah, sure. Um. So first of all, they were, uh, I mean, no surprise here. They were exactly what we were expecting as far as what the, the product images that were leaked earlier were. Um, they had a very interesting approach to uh, unveiling these, uh, at least in my mind. Uh, they kind of showed them off and spoke about what the few differences were. And then really, I felt like drug the rest of the presentation afterwards and like didn't get to like, I don't know, like the most important thing for me was like, how much is it going to cost? And... <laughs> Between them saying this is iPhone XS and these are the prices, and they never actually did all the prices, they just said starting at, which is a little weird. But uh, between those two was like an elapsed 50 minutes, uh, which made the whole presentation feel very slow to me. Uh, but as far as, as what's new in the iPhone X, uh, we get the, the faster A12 Bionic processor. They're keeping the uh, Bionic suffix on the chip name this year. Disappointed to not hear it's called Spectre. <laughs> that that would have been uh, pretty clever. Missed opportunity. Uh, which which is uh, the industry's first 7 nanometer chip being put in a device like this. Or I don't want to say any device that feels like a very uh, broad statement. But uh, definitely at first in the industry at least. Uh, getting the 7 nanometer process in a chip. They added a, another GPU core to it. It's got the uh, uh, two high performance CPUs. And uh, what was it six six low, uh, high efficiency CPU cores and a much faster uh, onboard neural engine to do their machine learning. Um, and I don't have the exact performance gain off the top of my head, but it was like in some cases like uh, machine learning uh, nine times increase in speed. Uh, so as far as their their processors go, that's a huge. Uh, increase for them and keeps them very well seated at the the top of the market uh this 
the second iPhone, the iPhone XS Max, uh, this year is is kind of interesting to me because it's it's in feature parity with its its smaller relative. So you get the bigger 6.5 inch screen and the slightly larger battery that comes with having a larger phone. But other than that, it's uh, spec for spec identical to the smaller one. You forgot the most important part about the A12 Bionic. What's that? You forgot the same all day battery life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, so the iPhone XS has 30 minutes longer battery life than the iPhone X, and the XS Plus has an hour and a half longer, which surprised me. I expected a lot more battery life than just an additional hour and a half over the iPhone X. That that was a little shocking, wasn't it? That's not a whole lot more for a Plus. I'm sure that the original standard to Plus uh, battery life bump was more than that. Although if they are quoting actual usage time, I guess that, that does translate to quite a lot longer standby time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, usually, I remember, like, when they announced the difference between the standard and plus-size phones, it's usually, like, they broke it down, like, it's this many extra hours of music or this many extra hours of talk. And this was another example, I felt like, of them just kind of glossing over a detail that I felt like was important. But maybe maybe it was because it's slightly underwhelming, and they just kind of wanted to say that and move on. They do break it down on the specs website um, by, like, video playback, audio playback, and that sort of thing. Um, and you're typically seeing, like, or oh, video playbacks... <clears throat> Jeez, is uh, 14 to 15, audio 60 to 65. So these aren't huge jumps, are they? Yeah. Um, maybe it's something about driving this this extremely large display uh, takes more battery power than the bump in LCD used to take. And so a lot of that extra battery is going towards just keeping this display going. But yeah, other than that, I, I can't think of what would attribute such a larger phone not having a better battery life than this. So the display itself is the same pixels per inch as the iphone 10 before 458 pixels per inch right um and that that's true across both of the phones yeah that's right so you've got a bigger screen with same density quite a nice addition really um they made a big big deal uh, th- this is exactly what you said that they, they kind of glossed over um like the intro of it and then spent ages pulling apart a few specific features and one of those was camera but another one was the speakers how long did they spe- uh, talk about these new wide stereo <laughs> speakers it seemed ridiculous yeah well not yeah not only did they like dive into talking about what this is which i still came out of it not understanding really like is it just louder what does that even mean uh but also like every single feature afterwards if if that feature had anything to do with video or audio, they had to to mention that that uh, wide stereo again every single time, and it uh, yeah felt that also felt odd to me. Uh, just to jump all around all over the place, but uh, video recording. Uh, this is one of those uh, times when they brought up again the ultra wide stereo. Um, but apparently, video recording, um, the audio has been in mono all this time. I did not know that i did i would not have guessed that at all um but now video recording also has stereo audio recording alongside it and now you can listen on your ultra wide <laughs> stereo speakers yeah i've been saying boat. i just assumed they were already doing this uh so for them to then go on and make kind of a big deal out of it being a feature now felt weird to me but it felt like they were just this whole presentation really reaching and I put this in the show notes and this feels like the first iphone s upgrade or not in a long time where all we're seeing is like performance, perform- performance bump, and like a slightly better camera. 
which people say that's like the hallmark of an S upgrade. Uh, but if you look back through the line, um, 3GS is the last one I can think of that truly was that, where you basically got a, a spec bump and that was it. But then 4S, you got the addition of Siri. 5S, they brought the fingerprint, touch ID. Uh, 6S, we got 3D touch. So to say that an S upgrade is is always just that spec bump uh, is a little disingenuous in my mind. And, and this felt very underwhelming compared to past S upgrades. Yeah, exactly. All the features were just marginally improved although saying that they were all very nice improvements but there was there was no hallmark feature to to sell this phone if i had to pull one feature out and say like this is what makes the 10s i don't know worth an upgrade from a 10 or the biggest feature it's it's that uh being able to adjust your f-stops your depth in post like that was like the most interesting feature to me to come out of this phone (laughs) and that's probably something that they could have implemented in software and brought it back to the iPhone 10 and 8 Plus as well if they wanted to. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you say that, and then they went on and proved what you just said exactly right by adding this feature to the 10R, like all the all the portrait features and the, the lighting and the, the dynamic depth and post. The fact that the 10R has these features just proves that that like any of their phones could have this, even even if they try to say the Bionic it makes it possible because the chip itself is faster uh but even in the 10s then what is this extra camera for if it's not the depth sensing that you've claimed it is in the past yeah it eats away at that feature yeah on the um the dual camera phones completely because now the only reason that there's another lens there is for the telephoto features right which it's it's nice but it, it's not a big enough difference if they were going to market that as all this camera is for is telephoto and it's not depth sensing it should be more than a two times optical zoom to like get any good use out of it um the other features of the uh, <laughs> that they spruked smart HDR instead of the dumb HDR <laughs> last year, yeah, <laughs> IP68 water resistance instead of IP67. So now it's what was it thirty minutes at a meter or two thirty meters? minutes at two meters. And I've seen arguments that you know all iPhones of the past were basically at that as well. I've seen them put head to head against phones that were IP68 certified, and they've done as well or outperformed so this upgrade itself means i mean it is just in name and really doesn't mean anything to me here's actually a feature that uh i think is going to be received by the the general community probably more than any of the other features is dual sim cards so as as i (laughs) as i predicted it's one sim and one e-sim so i'm happy to predicted that (laughs) Except in China, where it's actually two physical sims. Now, this was a little confusing to me, because why would they go with two physical sims in China and then worry about putting an eSIM for everyone else? Surely the phones aren't that physically different. The way they've done it is quite clever. They haven't added two SIM trays, which would have been a total waste of space. You can actually back-to-back two SIMs in the one SIM tray. Um, And I mean, the question that I had coming out of that is, is the phone in china physically a lot different and and are they sacrificing battery life or something else um, to have two physical sims because otherwise why have they gone down two routes in two months so here's here's my thoughts on that um first of all the e-sim isn't in china just because i I don't know the exact regulations but they just aren't legally allowed to have an e-sim in their phones um i'd have to look into that but it's something to do with government and be able to control phones that way they can't have eSIMs. Uh, but I feel like Apple went out of their way to, in every other market, have this secondary eSIM in their phone because that's what they're really trying to push. And that's the direction they want to go. And they want to eventually get away from 
physical SIM cards at all to take consumers that one more step removed from carriers themselves and all interactions going through Apple, where you can purchase a plan through any provider just there on your iPhone and control all of your experience through their eSIM that they've created. And I think that's the future they see, and this is their way of like stepping towards that future and getting carriers to adopt their eSIM in the iPhone, where they already have in the watch and iPad. And that's my thoughts, at least. I think you're spot on. Yeah, I think they just have gone the eSIM route because that's that's the future in their mind. Yeah, and eventually there won't be any physical SIM at all. But this is probably the one feature that would make me upgrade as well, because as someone with family in... Um, another country that we visit quite a lot it is always a hassle either carrying around a hotspot or you know putting in a sim and then suddenly you know your whatsapp is signed out and your iMessage is not registered anymore and all the hassles that go along with swapping sims <laughs> i typically don't do it so i'd have a data plan a local data plan um, and then while keeping everything all your apps registered to your phone number on the on the physical sim that is uh that's going to help a lot of people I think that's going to be a selling point of the 10s. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Uh, this is, especially in, in Asian markets, I've seen this the most, but dual SIMs is almost like a feature that you have to have to even be a player in these markets. Like even the cheap $200 smartphones generally have dual SIMs if they're coming from the Asian market, at least. And I'm sure this is probably the case in the European market as well, where uh, inter-country travel is so common. I mean, for me, for me personally... I don't travel enough to to get any use out of a dual SIM feature, but just the thought that I could have like a work number and a personal number on one device, uh, I mean, that's compelling even to people who don't travel. Um, So next to be announced was the 10R. And I was left at the end of the keynote thinking, well, why does this exist? Did they really explain why it exists? I mean, you could infer into the missing features, missing 3D touch, um, missing dual camera, despite half the features of the dual camera still being in the phone, and LCD display, that the only reason they did it was for cost. I honestly couldn't put a finger on what other reason there would be besides making a slightly cheaper edge-to-edge iPhone 10. Yeah, I uh, had a very similar takeaway, and I feel like a lot of that plays into their naming. First of all, they never even mentioned what R means. They at least took the time to say, like, plus size is is usually this size of phone, and because the iPhone XS Max is so much larger than our traditional plus size, we're calling it Max to signify it's bigger than plus. Like, I appreciate them at least taking the time to explain that. They never once even mentioned what R means or what it exists for. Um I mean, not that they've typically done that. Uh, they did originally with the introduction of the S, say it stood for speed, and with the C, it obviously stood for color. Uh, SE, they never bothered, but it's generally interpreted to mean special edition, I think, which doesn't make sense for a cheap phone in my mind. Uh, but I feel like if they would have called this the iPhone Ten SE, its own purpose would have become more evident just through its name, because uh, we've already come to expect the SE to be kind of like, hey, you can get the newest features, but in a cheaper package kind of deal. Um, so just to call it the iPhone XSE would have, I think, con- conveyed the reason for its existence better than this this whole new naming scheme. Basically, everything that's in the XS is also in the XR. It's got, uh, even down to the dual SIM, um, the wide stereo sound, um, the improvements in the video recording. What do they call that? Something about dynamic range. Um, the portrait depth control where you can change the f-stop to increase and decrease the background blur and the... Um, the size of the bokeh. Have you got any guesses what the R stands for? Just a stab in the dark. Oh, man. I would go with revision, but revision. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't given it a lot of thought. I, I can't say I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, but just like 
on a surface level, nothing immediately comes to mind for what, what R means. R, iPhone 10, uh, relatively cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> But but for this to exist and like the removal of 3D touch, that's a big deal in my mind. Uh, The LCD display, um, the all aluminum design for for it to start at a price that's not not that much below a 10s. Like anyone who's in the market for a 10R should go buy a used iPhone 10 right now because you arguably get the same features or better minus the faster processor unless the dual sims really appeal to you. I don't know. I feel like at its price point, it, it doesn't make as much sense as if it were to start even just $100 cheaper. It, it's typical of Apple to do like the cheaper model and then have it not cheap and barely cheaper than the premium model. Well, what's, what's funny to me is three years ago, this was their flagship price. So for us to be calling it the cheaper model now when it's being sold at what was a flagship price a few years ago, I think is is a sign of their maybe their marketing. Like the fact that we're calling this the cheap model makes the other ones feel like they're not quite as high priced as they are do you remember the days back on back when the iphones would be like 500 dollars outright price <laughs> 450 i think didn't most people in the u.s buy things on a uh, on a plan back then anyway yeah but, you gotta you basically pay 200 dollars for a smartphone the carrier would subsidize the rest uh on the condition that you start a two-year contract with them yeah that's right Man, you used to get like tremendous subsidies from the carriers here. But now, basically, if you sign up a contract and actually look at the fine print, you're basically paying the outright cost of the phone just over two years and there's no subsidy at all. Right. Yeah, that's completely gone <laughs> um, away. Times have changed. That's uh, that's why when I purchase new phones, I always buy them outright because at least then I can turn around and, and sell them a year later when I upgrade instead of having to hand them back to the carrier because I'm technically just like leasing them. Is that the way it works? Do you have to hand the phone back at the end of the two years? If if you want to upgrade your phone before you've paid it off, yes, you have to hand it back to them or or pay off the difference ah, okay. you still owe on the right. phone. Right, right. Yep. So, which which isn't as much of an issue for people who upgrade every couple of years, but but for me who gets a new phone every year, having what five hundred dollars left to pay on a phone at the end of a year versus just owning it outright and being able to sell it for seven or eight hundred dollars, uh, to me makes more sense to go that route. One little perk I, I used to have when the phones were heavily subsidized, because I, like you, would buy the phone outright every year. But then every two years when the contract would come up for renewal, they would give you like a new iPhone that would that you'd pay off over two years. But the, the total cost with subsidies would only be around, say, $200 for, for a $750 iPhone. I'm talking Australian dollars, so it probably doesn't compute. Um, and here, at least, there was no rule about keeping the phone. So what I would do is accept the subsidized iPhone and then immediately um, put it on... Uh, Gumtree or Craigslist <laughs> equivalent and, and make a bit of money. <laughs> but yeah, there's no point doing that anymore because because you end up just paying the entire cost over two years. The last phone that I got on a subsidy was my 6 Plus. Um, and then after that, carriers kind of did away with subsidies here in the US. Yeah, no. That, yeah, I'm no, I'm exactly the same. It must, it must be working the same way in both countries because <laughs> that was the last phone I bought on a contract. So what's interesting to me, uh, just kind of back to the, the 10R here, is... First of all, the fact that they're able to fit LCD technology into this form factor is actually a really impressive feat of engineering. Um, and to work up what a big deal this is, in the, in, especially for what is the cheap phone, that's uh, really impressive. Um, on the opposite side of that spectrum, having a less than, or what, a 720p display in a 6.1 inch phone is is very disappointing. <laughs> 
Um, what's the well, the pixels per inch is three twenty six on the iPhone ten R compared to four fifty eight in the ten S. Yeah, and this three twenty six number is 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 the number that they've had since the uh, iPhone four as like this is our baseline to call a Retina display. Right, and now looking back on the on the older three twenty six PPI displays, you you can tell it's uh it's pretty borderline Retina. I mean, back in the day, going from a three GS to a four, it was night and day. Yeah, yeah. When you think like the iPhone. 8 Plus last year had a 1080p display, and then this year in the 10R we have a uh, 0.6 inch large display, significantly larger display with a significantly lower resolution that's uh, going to be noticeable to people. Yeah, m- maybe not the sort of person who cares if they're buying the 10R. Um, it does seem to be targeted at less than enthusiast level people, and one of the features that uh, that does differentiate is that you don't get the 512 gigabyte model on the 10R either. It's maxing out at 256. Uh, the fact that they have the uh, 128 gigabyte tier here, though, is really nice. I know a lot of people feel like 128 is the sweet spot, and I think that's like Apple deliberately leaves that tier out of the, the 10S for that exact reason, and they go straight from the 64 to 256. Um, so for them to have the 128 gigabyte tier here, I think that's going to appeal to a lot of people. All right, I think we've pretty much covered the iPhones. Um, should we talk about what's not there okay <laughs> what didn't come out you can, you can kick this off since yeah uh, uh so i actually like so into the keynote or just excited to hear about the iphones that i forgot about air power through the entire keynote which is it had to be exactly what apple wants is for everyone to forget um it wasn't until a couple hours later i was sitting at my desk at work and i thought they didn't mention air power so i go to apple's website and i google air power just to see if like their timeline I mean, not that AirPower has a set release date or hasn't, uh, but to see if it's like, says Dow 2019 or something. And I searched the website to find that it just doesn't exist on their website anymore. Like any reference of AirPower is completely gone. So before today, did they have a website dedicated to AirPower? Or, a, like, you know, a subsite or something? Yeah, like that? it had like a little coming soon blurb, like on the iPhone 10, like, this is a wireless charging accessory, not not released yet, but it, it, it was there. It had a blurb about it. Uh, but it's just completely gone. There's no reference at all on their website now. That's uh, unheard of, maybe. I'm not sure if something like that <clears throat> has happened before, but that is, um, yeah, it's it's annoying because I think if there was one thing that would have been like uh, the cherry on the cake for the keynote it would have been um, air power, a release date at least, alongside the iPhone. Yeah, um, I think like... It might have felt weird. I mean, you couldn't have called that a one more thing. They couldn't have said one more thing. We're finally releasing the thing we told you about a year ago. But just just for them to mention it all would have would have been a big deal. Uh, but for them to then come and remove it from the website entirely leaves almost no doubt in my mind. We're not going to hear about it at least in this this uh, this next announcement this fall where they're going to talk about like the iPads and potentially new Macs. I don't think we're going to hear about AirPower this year if we ever hear about it again. Well, if we never hear about it again, then I'll be very curious to hear in, say, a decade's time what happened. Because that has got to be an, an incredibly interesting story to announce a product and then never ship yeah. it. Yeah, and it's it's usually par for the course for uh, Tim Cook to sit down and do a few interviews after product announcements like this. Uh, so I wonder if any interviewer is going to be, like, I don't say brave enough to ask him, but I feel like also he might go into the interview and, like, here's a list of things we you, know, you can't ask me about, and one of them is going to be, like, air power, and they're, they're going to literally just brush it under the rug. Air power remains an important product in our yet-to-be-released lineup <laughs> alongside the <laughs> Mac Pro. I mean, if, if, air power, if air power was announced 
uh, today, I would easily be more excited about it than the new iPhones. Yeah, me too. I can I can see myself just going down to the shop on a release day and buying Air Power. Cannot see myself doing the same for the iPhone or even the Watch. <laughs> well, as, as much as I as I dog all these products, I'm still going to be a day one buy on these. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can I can look at things from a critical perspective, but then also acknowledge that I am totally a sheep that will just buy things because it's shiny and made by Apple. <laughs> so tell me the cost of your new phone, because undoubtedly you're getting the 512 gig as a, a local storage option. Yeah. So this was also kind of a shock to me. I went to, um, and this is something I want to touch on in a minute, but to set up my, my order for the new iPhone come Friday, only to find out that the 512 configuration of the 10s Max is uh, $50 shy of $1,500, um, which was, <laughs> I expected about 1300 considering I'm used to the, like the $100 per price tier. But but this year they've opted to, every price tier goes up by $150. Uh, so that new price tier uh, kind of uh, took my breath away for a moment. Yeah, and 1500 converted to Australian is around 2100 but then we always have a premium on top so this phone is actually going to be probably around two and a half thousand Australian dollars which is insane <laughs> it, it's more than the price of many of their computers yeah I mean even even the US price I could easily get you could get into a MacBook Pro for the, the price of an iPhone as a small like small bit of sugar to help the medicine go down when I was looking at the product page they have new Apple Care Plus options, which I was very excited to see. Uh, they have a new Apple Care Plus package that specifically covers loss and theft. So if your phone gets stolen or you lose it, uh, they'll still replace it, which is really cool. Uh, but even more. That's cool. That's new, yeah. isn't it? And even more interesting to me, you don't have to buy Apple Care Plus up front for like $200 anymore. You can opt to pay, depending on which Apple Care Plus plan you choose, like 3 to $10 a month for however long you want. And then you just stop paying the monthly fee and uh, you don't have Apple Care Plus anymore. So for me, like $10 a month, Apple Care Plus, and I get a new phone every year. That's 12 months max I'm paying. So $120, which would be less than the usual upfront cost that I'd have to pay. So uh, kind of, I mean, it doesn't totally negate the cost, but it kind of uh, made me feel a little bit better. <laughs> maybe that's what apple was going for <laughs> yeah a spoonful of sugar yeah exactly <laughs> well i've kind of put together like a handful of of my thoughts uh actually now that i'm looking through it i feel like we've kind of touched on all of them oh actually now going into uh i kind of want to transition in this topic anyway uh the best way to get a launch day iphone which which surprised me but i got my iphone 10 on launch day last year and at that point i was still kind of dabbling with my youtube channel actually unboxing my iphone 10 was the last video i made on that channel but uh the number one question i got asked there and that i've seen like on reddit and just across the internet people opening their their launch day iphones and everyone asks how did you get it on launch day i went to their website like at midnight and it was immediately sold out and so i kind of feel like it's worth touching on if you want to ensure getting this is going to cut into my chance of getting a launch day iphone but <laughs> everyone should know how to do this i feel like <laughs> so so if you if you want to get a, launch, a an iphone delivered to your house on launch day the first thing you have to do is go into the apple store app on an iphone or an ipad or whatever and pick the phone you want in the configuration color and all of that and and save it as a favorited uh item you can like have a list of items that are favorite in the store and then you have an option to quick purchase that at any point in the future um so to get an iPhone on launch day, first of all, always use the app. Apple's website 
uh, doesn't come up as quickly as their uh, mobile app does for making purchases. Um, but if you have that saved favorite favorited iPhone, the, you just keep refreshing the app uh, around midnight, and as soon as it goes live, you get into your favorite, and then you pay with uh, Apple Pay. Don't bother entering card information in or anything like that. You just tap the like tap it on your favorite list, and then you tap Pay with Apple Pay, and it scans your finger or it scans your face, and you've already purchased it, and it's you know you're pretty much guaranteed. Um, that's been my successful strategy for getting launch day uh, iPhones for the last few years now, and it's it's always worked for me. That seems to be basically the same procedure here. I would say the only part of that I didn't know, and um, it's very good to know because I had a lot of problems with it last year, is the buying with Apple Pay. Maybe that wasn't an option in the Apple Store app in Australia last year. But yeah, I was there at 5 p.m., uh, you know, force quitting the app and launching again. I don't think it came live for about 10 minutes actually after 5 p.m., um, but yeah, definitely live before the website. Um, and the problem I had was that even though I thought I had the correct credit card detail saved, turns out that they weren't correct. And so I wasted five minutes and then didn't have the pick of uh, the exact iPhone 10 I wanted. Um, I'm just trying now, actually, to see if you can Apple Pay now. So, well, on top of fumbling around with, with card information, um, and this only applies to people who buy their phones outright every year, but if you're going to buy it outright, uh, this year you have the option to buy it uh, with no SIM. So you don't have to bother entering your carrier information in and getting the carrier to verify your account. So if you have that option, always choose the SIM-free option so you don't have to bother activating with your carrier at the time of checkout as well because that'll save you a couple minutes. Right, yeah. Now, you've never been forced to do that in Australia, thankfully. Um, I have got the Apple Store app and Buy With Apple Pay is an option. So maybe that's something that's come in the last 12 months, but I do not remember seeing that button there before. Yeah, that's a huge time saver. Very handy to know. So. Yeah, I can imagine. And then the, the, actually the last thing on my list of uh, interesting things that I didn't really mention is is uh, they've discontinued the iPhone SE, uh, the 6S, which I expected, and the 10 as well. So now the lineup is 7, 8, 10R, and 10S. All right, okay. Yeah, that's a pretty decent lineup then. Yeah, they're good phones. Um, that goes along with uh, all the those reports a few months ago that uh, the 10 was being discontinued. Yeah. <laughs> Go and throw your 10 in the trash. It's, it's clearly a failed phone. <laughs> If you believe those reports. <laughs> but uh, the more obvious answer was that the 10 was being discontinued uh, in favor of the 10s, of course, and that it wouldn't stick around like uh, some models do as the cheaper option. Yeah, it makes total sense. But yeah, yeah, I think, they're, I think their lineup is really strong. Uh, I feel like they don't have as much of a reason this year for people to upgrade as they usually do. But they also had a really long talk on stage today about how they're trying to push people to keep phones longer. So I don't want to say that's deliberately why they didn't add features, but it kind of plays into that as well. Yeah, we should talk about that just quickly before we finish up, I think, because that was a little out of the blue. They always have some sort of um, environmental message, usually keynotes these days, and whether it's as simple as the little green tick list of all the things that aren't and are in the phones material wise um but they had the woman whose name i can't remember come on stage and talk about just that trying to design phones to for people to keep them for as long as possible um mentioning that ios 12 goes all the way back to the 5s i think it is and how it's actually going to make these older devices more responsive even the newer devices more responsive than ios 11 um and that their goal is well the best what was it the best way to i can't remember the wording can you help me here um 
Oh man. It's like best way to save the planet also is like the best way to make their customers happy or something. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. But essentially the message was that they actually want people to keep their iPhones for as long as possible. Right. And this has got to be, you know, probably 90% environmental and 10% trying to fight the message that they are obsoleting phones every year by slowing them down, which is still to this day the general consensus if, you know, if you went and asked a uh like a non-Apple fan or just a you know a general person on the street, do you think Apple slows down phones every year to make you buy the new one? I think 80%, 90% of people are going to be saying yes, they, they do. So this message is, yeah, it's got to be at least 10% combating that uh, that uh, sentiment about Apple. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, and along with that, they've expanded their iPhone recycling program. I don't believe they've done this in the past, but now going forward, if you send them a phone to recycle that is new enough that they can sell it as a refurbished phone, they will actually pay you for it. Um, and it looks like if you send them like a, an iPhone 10 now, you get a little over $500 back, assuming it's in good shape and they can reuse it, uh, which is probably lower than you can get selling it on eBay or Craigslist. But it's actually, I looked at, looked at this on gazelle.com, which is a popular phone buyer. And uh, that's like exactly what they're offering so apple's actually offering a fairly competitive price for used iphones now which is kind of a nice way to subsidize a phone for some people that has been the main problem with their buybacks or what do they call it give yeah give back (laughs) they call it give back now but (laughs) but the buyback in the past the rates you have been able to get have not been worth it unless you are truly after a hassle-free process of not going through like an online classifieds taking your photos listing it dealing with you know a thousand people who say they're interested and they never respond to your message but the price that they used to give was actually it was it was not worth giving them the phone it was worth going through the hassle so it's interesting to hear that those rates have improved and I'd like to see if they've come to Australia because I know it's actually a third party here that does the whole processing. Like if you went to the buyback program on Apple's Australia website, mm-hmm. it takes you to a URL that is not apple.com. It's something else. I'm not sure what the case is there. Huh. Um, yeah, it's not something I've ever looked into, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's nice to see. I mean, this I think this plays more into their message of really wanting to recycle because you'd be hard pressed to have someone basically give away their last year's iphone just just to be a little more (laughs) eco-friendly yeah that's right (laughs) but yeah i was impressed by that message they spent a long time talking about it i mean i think it's a good thing for them to talk about but it's it's another case i feel like today of them i don't know their focus seemed really shifted uh into a new direction than it usually is so for better or worse so one last topic before we wrap up i think is that the 10r is actually not shipping till october whereas um the 10s is basically following the normal pattern of pre-order after one week and then receive a week later yep. uh i i saw that october date and my initial response was oh man it's another another 10 scenario uh but then just the more i thought about it the more it makes sense to me we're not we're not waiting months it's i mean it's one one month extra for this phone but that lets them sell their more expensive model to everyone who has to have the newest thing on day one. So I think this is more of a business strategy where they're going to sell the expensive model to everyone who's going to buy one. And then once that first wave of people's gone, then the people are going to buy the cheaper one who held out. Yeah, that's exactly what my question was going to be. Do you think it's a like a parts, um, a parts issue or a business decision? And yeah, I would say you're right. It's more than likely going to be a business decision to keep that uh, ASP average selling price as high as possible <laughs> yeah when you're looking at a delay of as they aim to do is it, when you look at delay of only one month they're not gonna 
resolve any uh, pipeline issues in that time frame. So this seems more like a planned thing than a, hey, we need more time kind of thing. Uh, is there anything else in your notes that you wanted to bring up before we close No, up? I think we touched on everything. All right. Well, um, I am James VDM on Reddit and Twitter, if you want to get in touch. And I'm Jelly Woot on Reddit and Twitter.